Welcome to Screen Time. We're going to be recapping 2022, the year in films, and talk about our favorites, and we'll do a little bit of TV as well. With me, as always, is RCB, Ryan Barnes. Say hello. Always, always, always happy to be back. And our one, we've got two returning guests, uh, Rize, a.k.a. Ryan Ize, writer for Screen Rant and Screen Studies Professor Extraordinaire. Hello, hello. And we also have Will Dixon. Yay, Will. Woohoo. Excited to be here. And Will and I have conversed via text offline, and we are sure to have some interesting discussions about some of these films. But first, we have our What the Film topic. And this one's a doozy. Um, Oscar bait. I have seen a lot of the Oscar bait movies. By the way, the Academy Awards nominations will be coming out soon. Voting is continuing as we speak. And I just got to say, a lot of these movies are huge duds. Uh, she Said, which is the uh, basically all the president's men for the hashtag MeToo generation, opened with a grand total of $2.2 million. Harvey Weinstein, convicted rapist, before he got convicted three more times of sexual assault, had the nerve to gloat about it. It's like, dude, that's a really bad look. Um, the Fableman, Steven Spielberg's latest opus, $7.6 million in four weeks. Armageddon Time, $1.8 million after a month in theaters. Triangle of Sadness has uh, squeaked out a little over $4 million since mid-October, and I need to look up the stats on Babylon, which cost a whole lot more than it made. Um, yeah, it cost $80 million, and I think it made like $2.2 million its opening weekend, which is not good. And especially as a Paramount stockholder, and some of my uh, retirement fund is in Paramount stock. Thanks, Damien Giselle! <laughs> <laughs> Although whoever greenlit the movie at that price should be smacked, because that was not that—that that is no no bueno. Um, what do we think about this? I mean, have how many of you have seen any of those movies? I was able to see all of them actually, and I'll, I'll say that out of all, I to be honest, I liked all of them. There isn't one in there that you mentioned. Um, I know we'll talk about Babylon here in a little bit, um, but she said I, th I thought it was fine. I thought it was pretty solid. And then the Fablemans, kind of the same. I had complaints, but I was like, that was that was okay. Um, I, I really liked Armageddon Time and Triangle of Sadness. I thought Triangle of Sadness was a little bit more of a dull kind of parasite, but if you're going to make a movie about, like, classism and about how awful the rich people are i'm kind of here for it uh I, I think that's kind of evergreen topic and then armageddon time i feel like is weirdly relevant in today's day and age with all the stuff going on with kanye and kyrie irving and just kind of a weird like bringing to light i guess the oppression of jewish people that is i think kind of skipped over in america a little bit um but i really liked what it had to say on privilege and um i think you know like realizing the system's flawed but also taking advantage of it so i ended up really liking that one 
Um, I just looked up the numbers. Uh, so far, Babylon has grossed $14.9 million worldwide. Oof. That's and not much. That does not Meanwhile, much. James Cameron's Avatar The Way of Water is... They've, they're at like $1.9 billion right now. You know, heading to two. And it's barely been... It's been out like 33 days. Um... Say what you want about Cameron. I, I, I've been telling my students, you know, the dude, he's tough on his actors. He's got more ex-wives than I think I have fingers, at least <laughs> on one hand. Uh, you know, don't marry him. <laughs> he's tough on his crew. He's tough on his cast. But he kind of knows what people want to see. <laughs> I mean, I, I've been amazed at all the people who are wishing that Avatar 2 would flop. But it's like, dude, he makes, you know, he makes spectacular cinema. And what you... But uh, I had just read a response on Letterboxd from um, uh, my colleague, your former colleague, uh, Zach Cheney. And he made a really good point that he, he uses these extremely universal, um, you know, narratives these i mean we all point out like yeah it's just dancing with wolves or it's just pocahontas or fern gully (laughs) and it it works because it's worked many times before he's he's capitalizing on something that is well worn for a reason with eye-popping effects yes so i we may or may not be talking about fablemans depending on what's on people's lists I'm sorry, I, me no likey. I think actually, Rise and I have, I have talked about this. I'm like, dude, Stephen, if you got beef with your dead parents, talk to your rabbi, talk to your therapist. Don't inflict it upon the rest of us. I, I just was not, you know, some aspects of the, you know, the kid making movies were kind of cool, but that wasn't the central thrust of the movie. In fact, I'm not sure the movie had a central thrust, which is problematic. Uh, yeah, I would agree. I absolutely 100% agree on that. I do think if that movie, like if people didn't know who Steven Spielberg was in that movie, just like came out without it being like semi-autobiographical, people would not care about it and would not like it the way that they do. I think there's something just about it being him. I, th- um, I, th- I think we... T- we or the public or critics or you know audiences tend to grade Spielberg movies on a curve, and I, I I refuse to do that. It's like I still maintain, and I've said it for pretty much since I've been teaching. I don't think he's made a truly great film since Schindler's List. He's made some very good films since Schindler's List. I don't think he's made a truly great film since Schindler's List. I mean, he leaned into that. I completely agree with what Will said. That he leaned into that, not to not to spoil anything, but for anyone that's seen it, the last shot of the movie is so self-referential, so postmodern, so meta, whatever you want to use, that it's like if you don't have that knowledge of what the inspiration for this film is, it would lack. It, you would have no understanding of the context of why that last little punctuated joke means anything. And it was a little too on the nose for me, to be honest. I just thought it was silly. I personally, I wish he would stop working with Tony Kushner as a screenwriter. I do. I love Kushner's plays. I do not like his screenplays at all, whatsoever. 
I will say I do think uh, come Oscar season or just the awards, we are past Oscar season. But well, we're, we're entering show, Oscar season, dude. True, true. Uh, that uh, he will win Best Director, though. That's my prediction right now. You think so? And I do. I think he will. And there have been moments watching The Fablemans where, like, when the kid is, like, cutting the film together in a scene, um, I won't spoil anything for those who haven't seen it, but there's a scene where... The uh, I, I want to say titular character. Are we talking? Are we talking the, the western? Uh, no, it's it's the movie he's making for his mother. Um, oh yeah, he, yeah, yeah, Like I was sitting there during that scene watching a kid edit a film, and I just sat there and thought, he is a phenomenal director, even if I'm not liking this movie that much. And I think I do. I my prediction is he will win. Um, the Oscar for this movie for best director. Yeah. He shouldn't win it for screenwriting. That's for sure. <laughs> Rare. Uh, uh, RCB, you've been kind of quiet. Any thoughts? Well, I'm kind of on the outs of a lot of this because I haven't seen most of the stuff that's up for Oscar consideration. This is what happens when you move an hour and 40 minutes away from Los Angeles. And most of the theaters aren't showing a lot of this stuff, but it's also just been like, I've kind of been burnt from last year's Oscars when everything back then was also kind of like, I could appreciate a lot of the technical innovation or shot composition, the those elements of it, but none of these movies made me think, wow, I really liked that. They were all kind of depressing, and it kind of feels like we're more and more stuck in this place of you have great talent behind a lot of these movies, but a lot of this stuff is like the Variety article was saying, it's about things that we're trying to not think about as as a viewing audience. We want to escape. We want to go somewhere fantastical. We don't want to be regurgitating all of the stuff we've been dealing with for the past three to five years. And that was a motivating factor in me not wanting to see a ton of these things. And it's also just very interesting to see how so much of the industry seems very clueless about what works and what doesn't. The fact that in its entire run, Babylon has made less money than Glass Onion made being in next to no theaters for six days is shock, is an indication that people don't want to go show up to this stuff at the theaters. And Netflix, you should start thinking about leaving your movies in theaters longer because you could make some money because we all know you're in the red. You're not fooling anybody. Reed Hastings doesn't care about making money. He just cares about spending money. He better be hoping he doesn't have some loan sharks <laughs> want to repossess his uh, building or theater because I, I, I just don't understand his thinking because they they told him that. I mean, they out and out said you should consider another either another run for glass onion or a uh or you know bringing it back to theaters and he's like not interested he wants more subscribers it's like i'm i'm really starting to think and and rise this is this is a common discussion slash argument we've had over the years now but at some point they need to make a profit <laughs> And it's been a while, and you can't just keep jacking up people's subscribers' fees because that's how they lost me. Um, oh, uh, Will, just want to let you know, I really did like Armageddon Time, and that did find its way onto my uh, nomination ballot for WGA Great. for original Great. screenplay. 
because there were so many things that I wanted to nominate that weren't eligible. But yeah, I really, I, I, I was pleasantly surprised. And I'd had the screener for a while, but I'm like, okay, I'm in. Okay, so you know the order. Let's go down each of our top five films and you can have a few honorable mentions you can give at the beginning. And you're free to do them in whatever order. If you want to go one to five, or you want to go five to one, or if you're like me, because <laughs> I like to go alphabetically because, you know, I don't play the whole, this one was much better than that one. So, sure. Will, you're up first. Sure. Um, I will start. I have three honorable mentions. Uh, my first one, and surprisingly not the most controversial one on the on my list, I'm guessing, is actually Jackass Forever. <laughs> That's on my list. Yes. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Which, which I think, you know, narratively speaking, uh, it doesn't offer anything. Um, <laughs> however, who cares? However, I, came, I went into the theater, I feel like, at a time where I really needed a laugh. And from what I needed from a movie, this one delivered more than any other. Um, I went in and I started. I just laughed from beginning to end and just had, it felt like, I don't know, like 50 pounds lifted from my chest after I finished it. I've since watched it multiple times um, and really like it. I think for me, too, weirdly enough that the pandemic helped the franchise um, because so much of that Jackass franchise is messing with other people or doing like gross stuff. Um that I typically uh, am, oh, I don't hate, but like, it's not my favorite thing. Um, and this one, because of the pandemic, they weren't really able to create cringeworthy situations with unsuspecting people. And so they kind of had to turn on themselves. Um, and they did a lot more psychological um, stunts and things like that, uh, because they're older and can't, <laughs> can't take the hits as much uh and it completely worked for me um i just laughed from start to finish so that's on there um another one was uh uh george miller's three thousand years of longing um which i think is you know most people would consider just an all right movie and i totally understand that but i just really loved it it felt like a a fairy tale and i was in the mood for that, and I wish there was just a thousand more movies George Miller did like that, that I could have just binged after watching it. Um, and then my third mention, which might be on some people's lists, um, but it definitely deserves a mention for me, was uh, Guillermo del Toro's Pinocchio. Um, I went and I saw that uh, kind of by myself, uh, just at the spur of one evening, and just start to finish i was like smiling at what a fit del toro was for this movie and i could just feel how much he cared about it in every single frame and it really rubbed off on me cool um so yeah those are my three honorable mentions that barely miss a cut um for my top five at number five i have owen klein's funny pages uh famous nepo baby owen klein um and that i don't know if you guys saw funny pages at all um I i'd never like, heard of it before you mentioned it okay i feel like it was a pretty divisive film from my friends who did see it because the film is gross and it's definitely indie and weird 
um, and all that sort of stuff. Uh, but I thought it captured the artistic journey incredibly well um, in terms of being like an insecure egomaniac that I feel like most aspiring artists kind of are. Um, but I also felt like it had a lot to say on mentorship and the importance of a mentor. Um, and I completely loved it after finishing it. Um, number four, I have Charlotte Wells after sun, uh, which I went and saw with a couple of friends and I felt like the movie, it, it's a movie where you don't really understand why it's so great until it finishes. Um, but after it finishes, you just sit there kind of thinking about it. Um, and I'm constantly thinking about the little moments that the film focuses on. Um, and yeah, it just completely broke my heart. And I thought it was a masterpiece and I can't believe it was a directorial debut. Um, and then number three, I have the film Tar, Todd Field's Tar, um, which in my opinion, I think is the best screenplay of the year. Uh, I was really scared watching it the first 20 minutes that the whole thing was going to go over my head. And then I kind of got past the fact that the character is very curated and supposed to be uh, presenting it herself as this total genius. Um, and I feel like very successfully does. And then as the film kept going, I thought it was kind of a very interesting take on cancel culture so to speak um and maybe it didn't have like a ton of to say about cancel culture in general but just uh, separating art from the artist um is what i kind of got and if that is possible um and it also has i think the one of the greatest last shots i've ever seen in in movies um and then number two which i'm sure will be on a few lists was everything everywhere all at once um i saw this uh, i i heard obviously good things i tried to see this as early as possible and i went to an early screening of it uh and i just thought it was one of the best films i've seen in quite some time it just had so much heart behind it and i feel like especially coming after the pandemic taking on a topic of feeling like nothing matters and finding the importance and love in that time. Just, I completely got to me, um, not to mention how just big and vast the movie is while touching on so many genres. I felt like it did all of them like well to really well. Um, and then number one, which is the most controversial pick and we've mentioned it multiple times, is Babylon. And the reason why I love this movie so much is I think we've kind of mentioned on this po podcast even, just at the start, that we've been feeling a little discouraged with movies lately. And, I mean, we talk about the the big blockbusters in in the past and you know we well, most of us i think all of us here love like superhero movies and all this sort of stuff but it does feel like things are getting a little more stale and i felt this movie kind of tackled the idea of the studio system 
taking something as rich and wonderful as filmmaking, which uh, people may roll their eyes at this, uh, and I totally understand because it may be a pretentious take, but I think there's such a universal language with filmmaking. There's such a, it, it's to me, it's like one of the closest things, not just filmmaking, but art in general. It's one of the closest things to like proof of God. And, and it's because it's so universal and it's so like, you're able to communicate with so many people with different experiences, different upbringings, all that. They can all go see a movie and understand characters and understand things and i feel like that's so pure and so wonderful and that the hollywood system did what humans do of course and kind of bastardized it to make a profit off of it and really focus on what's going to make the most money instead of how like wonderful this thing is um and i so seeing babylon in a year where there were so many movies about movies and the power of them and how wonderful they are. Also seeing it a week after Avatar 2, where we're sitting here talking about how, <laughs> yeah, the story, the, they, it's just as, as pandering and wide as possible, but you just go there for the effects and, you know, the experience. And also on the tail end of finding out the, South Park creators just got funding for a deep fake studio. I feel like we're going further and further away from what makes film authentic and like why I fell in love with it. And I'm scared that people are going to be like, oh no, people don't care about stories. They care about big experiences. Look at Avatar, it's made $4 billion, the two of them and things like that. And so seeing a, a film that was kind of a big F you to Hollywood really resonated with me. There's a lot more I could say, but I don't want to take up the whole podcast. So I'll end it on that. I will say this for Babylon. It has achieved a an almost singular effect. People either really love this movie or they really hate this movie. <laughs> there is like no middle ground. I personally am in the latter camp. I I was really disappointed in Chazelle. Because I expected much more, and the the whole his whole pee pee poo poo caca approach to that movie <laughs> is like, dude, you've already got a directing Oscar. Why are you acting like a kindergartner on the playground? So, and and, and the the massive dump an elephant takes on a hapless character at the beginning of the movie, for me, that's what a lot of this movie felt like. And yet, there are moments of magic in it. You could edit a much better much shorter movie <laughs> out of this but i just think it is it is a it is a big swing and a big miss and i saw it I with my that. associate dean who's the lead cinema prof uh american film history is one of his specialties and he <laughs> he no likey either so uh yeah i ooh i just i don't know it was just and Act Three, the Tommy McGuire character. What was that about? It was. And I, I'll be honest. There were three things in it that I downright didn't like: the uh, bodily fluids from animals and people alike. I didn't work for me. The Tommy McGuire thing went 
just uh, I laughed very hard at his screenplay idea, but the whole like sequence didn't quite work for me. Nope. I will say though that if this had been a tighter and really like strong and strict script, I don't think it would have lived up to the name Babylon. I think I think and that may be feel like a cop out, but I feel like the whole the whole mess of it kind of works, it, at least for me, the whole mess of it kind of worked in its favor. Ryzy, do you have any thoughts on Babylon? You know, I honestly, I just got access to Screener today, so I haven't, I, I had the choice to see one three-hour-plus movie in theaters, and I figured seeing Avatar in 3D IMAX is uh, more of a priority than seeing Babylon. So I, I haven't, I'm ashamed to say I haven't seen it yet. Um, I am a little disappointed to hear that it's a little more sophomoric, uh, a little more immature than some of his past stuff. I'm a huge fan of Damien Chazelle. So uh, that might work in my favor or against me when I go in to watch it. I'll have to uh, uh, let you know how I feel about that. But it is at the top of my want to see list in terms of the few um awards contenders or oscar bait films that i haven't had a chance to watch yet i saw it if i told you oh sorry i I saw it i saw it in glorious imax on opening day so that is probably not the best way to see that because you will feel like (laughs) these bodily fluids are you know (laughs) true larger than life and then some what if i told you the film had jazz in it though rise I mean, help? like, you know, I'm less interested. I think it's funny. I, I think it's funny how much he, he uses jazz, but I, I'm more <laughs> interested in finding out if, if it has this pursuit of dreams at all costs theme that you can find in all of his uh-huh. films, even the non-jazz one. Because I think First Man, while it's not my favorite of his, I think that's his best directing effort to date. I love First Man. <laughs> I, I will defend it. I have I have a very dear friend, Jan Batchelor, prolific screenwriter and uh, USC screenwriting prof who hates it. But I love First Man. I, it just does. It, it works for me. Let's move on to RCB. So I my my list is definitely going to be much more commercially known than will's will is definitely much more into the indie stuff that came out this year but amongst my honorable mentions i still really appreciate the visual and the visual look of the movie Lightyear. i think it is tactile it feels lived in i love the sound design of how everything feels like it's just these little bits and gears popping in and out as much as there are people who don't think that the story is great or didn't like that it was Buzz without Woody, this was the kind of thing that I was wanting Pixar to be more daring to do, is to do continuations of characters while not just being straight-up sequels. I think that concept went over the heads of quite a few people who went to see it, which is why we don't see any more continuations like this on their upcoming slate and why we're getting Inside Out 2. Um, but I still have a great time with this movie. It feels very Pixar to me. I love the cat. 
and I didn't think the cat was going to steal the show because I thought that was just people being commercial, but Socks the Cat is hilarious in this movie, and I love every second he's on screen. So not enough to be on my top list, but it's one that I think is worth talking about. Another one that I think is worth talking about is Top Gun Maverick. This it's It's kind of in the same boat as avatar the way of water in my opinion of how the thing that really sells what the movie is is the the visual and experience of the movie rather than the plot the plot is straightforward enough it gets the job done to get tom cruise back into wanting to do this again i do think tom cruise is acting a bit more in this than he usually is in his movies that he does nowadays i think a lot of the aerial combat of especially just seeing in the cockpit that you feel that these guys are being put under pressure i think you have a lot of fun characters especially glenn powell's hangman who i will be talking about him a little bit later but i think the most impressive thing to me was how they managed to use bringing back val kilmer for the little bit that they did of him because i thought that was really excellently crafted but again, an honorable mention. And then the one that I did not anticipate at all would be anywhere near an honorable mention or close to my top was Puss in Boots, The Last Wish. Oh, yeah. Because I was sitting in the theater watching this movie thinking, oh my gosh, I'm appreciating that they reduced the frame rate during action sequences to make the action look like it's popping more. I'm impressed that I'm seeing Salma Hayek's character emote through a mask and it's an animated cat. <laughs> the, the, the detail that went into crafting the visual look of this film is exceptional. And then on top of that, it, it has some of that trademark Shrek franchise humor so people aren't going to be totally lost from it. But the fact that they were so daring to do a story of it's about puss being afraid that he has no more recklessness available to him because he's used up eight of his nine lives he has and learning what makes life worth living and how that impacts him being able to be friends with perrito or his relationship with kitty and you have a very stacked voice cast built around this you have florence Pugh as goldilocks you have Oscar winner Olivia Coleman as Mama Bear. You have John Mulaney as Big Jack Horner. It's, 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 it had no right to walk into my life and make me think it was this good. And I'm just, that's why I'm so impressed with this movie. But getting into my top five, I tried ranking them, but I love them all so much for different reasons. So it's just kind of going to be me talking about the five. First one I'm going to talk about is Devotion. I want I I knew I wanted to see this movie because I saw Top Gun so I knew I liked Glenn Powell and I have been aware of Jonathan Major's career ever since he did this indie film for A24 called Last Black Man in San Francisco and I think that's really just the thing to talk about with this movie is Jonathan Major's is so captivating to watch when he is performing because you feel so much of what he is doing in this show and 
I've watched a couple of videos talking about kind of some of the method that he uses and he'll like communicate with his director, with his co-stars, he'll write them poems and they'll establish a relationship with each other through the different poems that they either write to each other or that they reference from poetry. And it's just, it feels like you see that in his process. You see how everything is paying off from the first moment you see him to the last second of the film. It's just a very engaging story about the struggles we face in life and un and learning to understand what th how things are for other people when we ourselves do not have that same experience. And the relationship between... Jonathan Major's character and Glenn Powell's character is just really, really a pleasant experience to watch. So this movie gets into my top five just because I love period piece films. I love things that deal with history and just layering that on top of this great work, the great work that Jonathan Majors is doing in this film is just a really pleasant experience for me. Next one for, on my list is The Batman. I know I've been saying that I'm really kind of burnt out on superhero movies right now, and I'm not really looking for a lot more from superhero movies right now, but this one, Matt Reeves just established a tone that I really, really dug. I really loved kind of the slow burn, noir, detective angle of Batman. I think Robert Pattinson was a great choice i love that it's like it's a second year of batman he's not refined yet i love how kind of not refined his suit looks that hit the batmobile is essentially just a muscle car at this point i the the thing i keep saying about this movie that i love is i never thought that i needed a movie where batman had as good of chemistry with jim gordon as he does with <laughs> catwoman because Every scene that he's in with with Gordon plays so well, and you ha have this great sense of their dynamic. And then you introduce Selena Kyle into Batman's life, and that brings a whole nother layer. And I think the big thing that really stands out for me is that in a year where, like, so much of superhero movies kept pushing and pushing and pushing at the spectacle... The fact that at the end of the day, this movie's message is learning that you can do so much more by giving people hope than exerting vengeance. And that is always part of the journey of Batman. But to hit it so clearly there and to have something that just felt like I was really enjoying watching the experience unfold. And I'm guessing that I know that, that I like this because I've watched this movie three times and have not bothered that it's a nearly three-hour movie so fun that fact goes on my list evidently it is the most re-watched movie of 2022 really uh, yep more than everything everywhere that's surprising to me and then going on to my next film is glass onion because as most people who talk to me know, Ryan Johnson is my favorite writer-director working right now, which is why when my memories pop up on my photos of, it was like 
three, just over two years ago now that Tom was kind enough to invite me to a screening of Knives Out where I got to meet Ryan Johnson. I, I, I love this work. I love the world that he creates with Benoit Blanc. I love the idea of just dropping into a new cast every time. This one was one of those movies where like, as someone who has acted, looking at that set of just the island that they're on the whole time, I'm like, oh my gosh, it's like a jungle gym for acting. There's just all of these like nooks and crannies and little details that you get to play around with. It's it's one of those movies that I've gone back and forth a little bit on how much I love it because there is some annoyance to me at the behavior of some of the characters. I understand why they're doing everything they're doing, but it's one of those things where is this as rewatchable because these guys are really not great people. And then you watch it again and you watch it again and you watch it again. I'm like, yes, it's, it's so, so rewatchable. I love everything that comes out of Kate Hudson's mouth in this movie. (laughs) Because what is reality? It is so absurd. <laughs> and you have all of these great moments, like when she's talking about just like people can't handle my truth. And Benoit says, it's a dangerous thing to compare speaking without thinking to telling the truth. And like those little things where you just sit in there and it's like, it's those things that people might've thought about in their head, but it's, you put it to, you put it into words and you have Daniel Craig say it with a thick Mississippi accent and suddenly it just sounds revolutionary. I loved the structure of this one. I think a little bit more than Knives Out. I love the going through the plot and then going back and adding another layer to what was going on and then the big reveal at the end. And it's it's just one of those things where, like Knives Out for me, it's very fun to keep rewatching. It's picking up on all the little details and if Ryan Johnson makes something, I'm going to show up for it. So it was undoubtedly going to end up on my top five. Next one is one that probably no one else is going to have on their list. I'm feel, I feel pretty sure safe saying that. And that is Fantastic Beasts, The Secrets of Dumbledore. <laughs> After Star Wars, The Wizarding World is probably my favorite franchise. And the two, thing that the two of them have in common for me is that You could strip away Luke Skywalker, you could strip away Harry Potter, you could strip away all of the characters from these worlds, and the world has me intrigued to see more of it. And that's that's really what I got out of this movie, is it's fun to see, again, something set in the past, even though it's fictionalized. The idea of what the Wizarding World looked like in the 20s, getting to see all these different cultures throughout the movie, and it was kind of just a fun heist movie with like seeing what a younger Dumbledore would do setting up a crew going out on a mission and this movie obviously is one of the more talked about movies for what it has going against it specifically the problematic comments made by the creator of the world the fact that they dropped Johnny Depp and put in Mads Mikkelsen and the fact that Ezra Miller was there at all but it none of those things really bugged me because i i really feel like i'm able to separate the art from the artist so i don't really associate a lot of this with what jk rowling says in her personal life 
as much as people will would lambast me for this if they actually knew me and were diehard Johnny Depp fans, it's an unavoidable fact Mads Mikkelsen is a better actor than Johnny Depp. And I think he brought more to the character of Grindelwald than Johnny Depp did. And Grindelwald is just also a character that I find more interesting than Voldemort because there is a little bit of nuance in his relationship with Dumbledore where Voldemort is literally just like... Evil. A guy who's ashamed he's half muggle and pure evil. And the thing that really cinched it for me with this movie because i was mixed on it the first time but watched it a couple more times and it came around to really loving it was there's a scene where dumbledore is explaining why his sister died to newt and i already knew that this i already knew what he was gonna say because jk rowling had released in one of her things on pottermore or something how the events of how his sister died, but Jude Law's performance moved me to the point where I'm like, I knew everything he was going to say and I still felt something. So that really impressed me. I also just think visually it was the most, one of the more interesting films in this franchise in terms of magic combat, in terms of the scope of what they were trying to accomplish. And as time goes on, I'm becoming less and less a fan of the Harry Potter franchise because it is so locked into this time period of like the middle school to high school age, which is what the books set out to be to begin with. And I'm just more interested in pursuing stories about other characters. Also, with this franchise, every time the camera rests on Dan Fogler's Jacob Kowalski, I am happy because the man is just chewing the scene. And then the last film on my list is Everything Everywhere All at Once. This, I have never had an experience going into a movie theater to watch a movie and just coming out feeling like, I've witnessed something I could never even fathom in my wildest dreams of coming up with everything that just happened in front of me. And I also came out of it very sad because I, I found myself like kind of being stuck in that headspace of where, um, joy slash jobu topaki is in a lot of this of thinking that not nothing really matters or i can't contribute anything and it's just needing to go back and look at it again and the second time i watched it it was the first time i was showing it to my mom and that sent me down a whole nother rabbit hole of thinking oh my gosh i'm shocked how relatable the struggles this family are going through or has been similar to what I've gone through with my family in some respects. And it's just an incredible feat. And the fact that you have a movie that ends with an optimistic tone, with Wayman convincing Evelyn that, hey, there is never a reason to not try to do better, to seek better. The fact that love won out in the face of the nihilistic everything bagel and it's it's just one of those movies that's hard to talk about because it's literally so much in the experience and it's one of those things where like i wish more 
franchise films and just films in general would be able to nail what this film nails so well, which is something that is visually stunning to watch, but is at the heart of it about just what we go through in life and reminding us that we are not alone in the struggles and we are not alone in the triumphs. So those are my top five films of the year. Cool. And that you will, we will be talking a little bit more about some of those because we, you and I have a few films in common. Rise A hit me. I'm kind of, I'm proud that a lot of mine are not on uh, some of your lists just so that we don't have to, I mean, yeah, you're going to have to hear from uh, me about everything everywhere all at once as well, but um, uh, not, not as many as I expected. I think I have a little, maybe obscure taste. I don't know. Obscure is not the right. I'm just going to get into it. I'll start with Jackass Forever because that was just. Yeah. Is, is this <laughs> is this one movie. of your films or is this honorable mention? No, this is honorable. I'm gonna start with my honorable mentions. I have three. I won't spend much time on them, and then I'm gonna go um, five to one. So okay, uh, yeah, Jackass Forever. Not only was Jackass Forever one of my favorite films of the year, but Jackass 4.5 was also the fact that they have enough deleted scenes to create content that is as enjoyable at more enjoyable than a majority of the other things that I saw this year speaks volumes for me. Um, yeah, I don't think I need to analyze it to, 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 to death. It, it just was enjoyable. I had a good time. I laughed and that is something to be appreciated. Make them laugh as they say, as uh, my, one of my favorite movies of all time uh, to quote uh, singing in the rain, make them laugh. Uh, my other two honorable mentions, uh, Prey, my only criticism of Prey, the prequel Predator film, is that it should have been released in theaters. That should have been in theaters. Pretty much the only thing I have to say bad about it. Um, Pinocchio would be my final honorable mention, although I'll be honest with you, my number five and that have gone back and forth because I can't decide. I, I think that I expected more of an emotional gut punch from Pinocchio. While if I'm just looking at it from a technical standpoint, I would I would likely put it on my top five because it is a beautiful, dark, creepy, weird, amazing you know experience. And it, I love that he was able, uh, like Will was saying, he was able to bring his unique style in the. Uh, characters, the the angel character, the blue fairy, whatnot. That how that she has the 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 eyes um, on her wings, in the same way that he uses it. I believe it's like a depiction of a the um, from the Bible, the seraph uh-huh. the type of angel. It's yep. covered in in eyes. Yep. Um, and he he used that in um, Hellboy two as well. I, I believe if I'm getting that correct. He's used that image. Yeah. Yeah, and I feel like it was also in Pan's Labyrinth. I yep. enjoyed that. Absolutely. Uh, again, it didn't land on my list only because it didn't hit me in a more, uh, you know, I don't know, emotional way that I was hoping it would. And for that reason, emotional in a different sense, I gave my number five to Barbarian. Uh, I, I'm not even going to say it's a perfect film. I think very rarely is a horror film perfect. 
because you know what what scares you is subjective and it's hard not to like this film absolutely does get a little over the top and that that is a complaint i have with the third act of the film but the amount of time i spent thinking about it and the amount of the reaction the the reaction it got for me while i watched it i, I kind of had to put that above pinocchio and actually have it on the list even though i think technically um del toro's pinocchio is is a better film um i didn't have as much fun watching it so that's why i ended up landing with barbarian uh, i won't spoil anything for anyone that hasn't seen it i'll just say that it gave me the same type of reaction i had not that the narratives are extremely similar although i think there's a reveal that that you can find some parallels in it uh, but it gave me the same kind of reaction i got when i first watched the original 1974 texas chainsaw massacre this kind of whoa where did that come from feeling um and i i appreciated that and i watched just way too much horror and i i would say I'm lucky if there's one movie a year that actually gets me the way this film got me. So I appreciated that. Number four, All Quiet on the Western Front. Um, I just thought that was a great war film. I, I don't think it, it broke the mold in any way. It didn't do anything particularly new or original with the genre. But all of the elements, I thought, were just what they needed to be it had impact I, I enjoyed the way it was shot the sound design i was there with the character and you know the 1930 version i that's hard to it's hard to talk that you know we hear people remaking certain films it's like ah how are you going to do that even 90 years later i was skeptical but i feel like it it it, it met the standards I expected for that narrative. Um, so I was, I was impressed by that one. Number three for me is, uh, and it's rare for me to put a documentary on my top five, but I think Moon Age Daydream, the <laughs> Bowie documentary, the way that film was edited, I think maybe better, that has better editing than anything else I saw this year. Um, in my personal opinion. And that's, it's a collection of, you know, um, footage. It's not like they went out and did talking head interviews or anything like that. So the way they constructed it, I appreciated. Um, and it's, I think the only movie I saw twice in theaters this year that I had to go back. Not that I didn't want to watch, especially the number one and number two on my list a second or even third time but I didn't feel like I needed to like it stuck with me and, and I could, I can recall all of the emotional points of some of my favorite movies this year, but Moonage Daydream had so many ideas. There's so many large, like existential thoughts in that movie, as well as just the, it bombards you with imagery. And I felt like I needed a second viewing to glean more from it. And I picked up new things each time. And just in terms of theater experience, you wouldn't think that a documentary is going to give you. I, I think that, that that film was a better IMAX um, viewing experience than Avatar was, in my personal opinion. I don't I think at the, 
at the very least, it utilized the like surround sound of a theater experience better than Avatar did. It might not have had the 3D visuals, but I was more immersed in that film than I was in the world of Pandora um, personally. Number two for me, uh, as is on, I'm sure everyone's list is everything, everywhere, all at once. The only reason that that's not on number one for me is because for me, like the title, I think it runs a bit long. It, it, it overstated its welcome. I love the, the way that it landed. It's just somewhere, somewhere in between the second and the third acts, I started feeling like it got a bit redundant and, and it, it lost me, not my attention, but it, it, the me feeling like this is a perfect film kind of drifted away as they started repeating certain things. But yeah, I'm a huge fan. My favorite filmmaker is probably Charlie Kaufman. And for me, this felt like a Charlie Kaufman, Jackie Chan love child. <laughs> <laughs> What's not to love about that? Like, I, I thought it was Seriously. great. And I, I I appreciate the meta humor. I appreciate thinking about things. I appreciate bold choices. And any movie that can make me laugh one moment and make me cry the next, that that gets my respect. And that film absolutely did that. Um, I, I I agree with the the feeling of like walking out and being like, I I didn't think I would ever see something like that. And that's why I thought of Charlie Kaufman because his films, I've walked out with that feeling where I, question you know my belief in system my ideology my life choices it it gets me to think about my own life this introspective experience while also feeling like you're you're sharing this experience as a community with with the theater goers that are around you there's this weird you know and this the one i'm not spoiling anything for anyone that hasn't seen it at this point the one scene that utilizes silence when you're just sitting there in silence with all the other moviegoers and you can like hear people around you quietly sobbing. There's a sense of community in that film that I haven't felt at a film going. I'd say the last time I felt that was the opening scene of La La Land where they're all unified and singing on the freeway together, which I saw for the first time right after I believe number 45 I'm not going to say his name was elected president and i was feeling like this disunity with everyone and then watching this melting pot this representation of diversity and all the different colors and cultures coming together in song um it moved me in a way that i also felt when i watched everything everywhere all at once so absolutely had to put that near the top of my list the only the only film that had a chance of knocking it out and it did in my opinion is a perfect film and my number one is marcel the shell with shoes on i just adore that film that one spoke to me in ways that i didn't expect um and yeah i don't even know that i can necessarily articulate it i just always go back to thinking about the line and maybe it's because i've during the pandemic got sucked into the world of social media and um, had a couple videos go viral and just was like, Oh, let me, let me use social media to curb my loneliness being stuck in isolation during the pandemic. 
the fact that the one line that stuck with me in Marcel, the show with shoes on is when he, he, he says something about social media. Like I was looking for a community, but I found an audience and that line just like hit me. Cause that's what I felt when I was looking to social media to try and curb my loneliness and found like, no, nah, it's just, it's not, it's not a community, at least not in the way that you want. You're not making those real sincere connections um, and, uh, yeah, and it, perhaps that's why it, it spoke to me more than other ones. But I, I, I think there were some larger kind of cathartic therapeutic themes going through the film because of the fact that the lead actress and the director created these characters while in a relationship and they split up, but they came back together just to make this film. And you kind of feel that in the dynamic of the relationships. It's, it's a healing film, not just in watching it, but you felt like them making it had some like healing properties for them. And I don't know, I felt that. I watched that movie on my own in a theater, not another person in the theater with me, just bawling my eyes out. Like, <laughs> I'm glad no one else is here. I guess I would have enjoyed that community experience that I did with everything, everywhere, all at once. But it hit me so emotionally that I was kind of like glad to have the isolation uh, for that particular film. So yeah, that's my top five. Cool. Mine probably won't take as long because I've got some repeats from other things. Uh, honorable mention. Um, even though ideally I would say a tie between the Batman and Wakanda forever, I'd give an edge to Wakanda forever, which I've seen three times in the theater. And uh, don't get me wrong, I liked the Batman. I liked the approach uh, that Matt Reeves took. However, I really missed Bruce Wayne because there is really no Bruce Wayne in this movie. There's a character named Bruce Wayne is really the Batman without, in, not in the Batsuit. So I hope that whatever he does for the follow-up that he has... Uh, that Reeves has uh, Pats establish that Bruce Wayne is a mask that Batman wears to accomplish tasks he needs. And I do like what RCB said about the chemistry between Jeffrey Wright and, uh, and uh, Arp, Robert Pattinson as uh, Gordon and Batman, as well as the chemistry between Zoe Kravitz and Pats as... Catwoman and Batman. I'm convinced that if you don't have chemistry with Zoe Kravitz, you don't have a pulse. Because she's got chemistry pretty much with anybody. <laughs> um, I do really love Wakanda Forever. They were handed, you know, whether you want to call it destiny, kismet, fate, whatever. They were dealt a very raw deal by the fact that they lost the the uh, by the unexpected death of Chadwick Boseman after four appearances uh, on screen in in the flesh as T'Challa and then the voiceover performance in What If. So uh, despite some of the, the morons who are like, they should recast T'Challa. It's like, no dog, they shouldn't because the way that the cast and crew bonded with Bozeman, the fact that Bozeman was much beloved by everybody he worked with in his, in his way too short career, um, it was the respectful thing to do to to kill off the character. And having seen the movie three times, it's a solid script. And 
Letitia Wright in the first movie is the fun comic relief kid sister. And she is in center square in this movie. And she rises to the occasion. Um, the thing that doesn't work about the movie, or rather three things, uh, Julia Louis-Dreyfus are the three sure. things that don't work about this movie. Uh, the less said, the better. But I just thought that the introduction of Namor, it's interesting that now Coogler has basically revealed what the original conception of the script was before Bozeman's untimely death. And it's fascinating. But I really like this movie. It's not everyone's cup of tea because it's about grief. And it's not just the, the grief of the characters within the movie, but it's the grief of the cast and crew and the grief of the audience. And uh, I probably said much too much for honorable mention. I really liked Prey. I agree with Rise. I wish I had gotten to see this on the big screen. <coughs> there were some screenings in L.A., but I'm in Florida now, so I didn't get to see it. Uh, Amber Midthunder rose to the occasion. She was one of the leads of of Roswell, New Mexico. She's so much better in Prey, which is a credit to the writers and the director. Uh, Glass Onion, love it. Saw it in the theater. Saw it again on Netflix at my sister's house over Christmas. I like it in many respects better than Knives Out because it's a smaller cast. You get to know the characters better and it's a tighter story. So uh, RCB's already waxed eloquently on that. Uh, there are some reruns. I'm going to give my list in reverse in reverse alphabetical order. She said, as I said earlier in our What the Film segment, for me, this really plays as an All the President's Men type drama, docudrama. Um, I thought Zoe Kazan and, oh, why do I always forget her name? Sally Spirit. Carrie Mulligan. Thank you, oh. Carrie Mulligan. I thought they nailed it as a female Woodward and Bernstein the the uh, the writers from the New York Times who cracked the Weinstein uh, sexual assault cases, and whereas in all the President's Men, the movie is predicated on we've got to find a second source because Ben Bradley is not going to risk the reputation of the Washington Post on an anonymous source. This movie's about we need somebody to come forward, and ironically, one of the first people to come forward who plays herself is Ashley Judd, and. Uh, I thought, you know, female uh, female director, female screenwriter, uh, female-led cast. There are some great guys in secondary roles, but I really... This was really one of the few Oscar bait movies that worked for me. Number four, in reverse chronological or alphabetical order, Moon Age Daydream. I love this movie so much. I'm glad I got to see it in IMAX while it was... It, did, it was only in West Palm Beach for one week in IMAX, so I got to see it in IMAX. I didn't get to see it a second chance, but it is available from iTunes right now on sale for like $7.99 in 4K. So, Rise, get to it. Uh, I watched it last night. I love this movie. The, the cool thing about this movie, it's not a traditional documentary. It's kind of like a concert film with aspects of, do, of a documentary, but it is awesome. And if you love Bowie like I do, it's just, I wish I could see that again in IMAX. I hope it, at some point somebody re-releases it in IMAX. Because just I, that two hours, 15 minutes or so I was in the theater, I was in pure heaven. Uh, everything, everywhere, all at once. There's not much more I can say about this movie except for I love Michelle Yo Yo Yo. Have loved her since um, Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon. It was so great to see Kihai Kwan 
the resurrection of his career, I think this dude is going to be working for the rest of his life. Uh, if you haven't seen the photo of his reunion with Harrison Ford at D23, it's there are photos posted everywhere. It darn near broke the internet. And there's also, uh, evidently Spielberg's kept in touch with him over the years, but just he is odds on favorite for a best supporting actor nomination and will probably win because he's winning almost every major award. And Stephanie Sue is great. Uh, she was also one of the friends uh, in Shang-Chi at the beginning and the end of the movie, which is why that's why she looks familiar. And Jamie Lee Curtis is always solid. So I love this movie. The Daniels, I think, are going to do well. Uh, I like what Rise said about the love child between Jackie Chan and Charlie Kaufman. Devotion. I love this movie. I've seen it twice. I'm reading the book the movie was based on, the nonfiction book. Uh, I'm about a, th a quarter of the way through the book. It's a great screenplay. I did nom uh, vote for it for adapted screenplay for Writers Guild nominations. Um, the, the screenwriter made some great choices, but the core story is true. You get more background in the book, of course, but... Um, Unlike, as one of my Naval Academy classmates who was a Marine Corps pilot said, forget about Top Gun Maverick, y'all should be seeing Devotion, because this is a true story, and, you know, true sto truth trumps Tom Cruise every time. And finally, and surprised that nobody else has, them, has this on their list, Banshees of Sharon. I find haunting. The McDonough Brothers, I will see anything they write and direct. Because I have not been disappointed yet from uh, from Calvary to three billboards outside Ebbing, Missouri. I dig the way these guys tell stories. And Banshees has such a simple setup. And yet, I'm not going to give away too much. But man, it goes to some dark places. Colin Farrell probably gives the best performance of his career so far. And... Uh, and uh, Brendan Gleeson is also terrific, as is Carrie Condon. But yeah, it is haunting. It sticks with you. It is not an easy movie to watch. I think Rise and I talked about it uh, off podcast a couple, couple weeks ago. But man, you will not forget seeing this movie because there are some images in it that will stick with you. But uh, everybody, the clear winner, <laughs> the clear, clear winner is Everything Everywhere All at Once. All four of us had it on our top five. So, cool. It'll break my heart when it doesn't win Best Picture. Uh, you know, as, long as, as long as the Fablements doesn't win, uh, that <laughs> um, So, last call. Just real quickly, what are some of the, the best TV shows y'all watched last year? Uh, let's go in the same order we went, uh, in for films. So that would be you, Will Dixon. Uh, my favorite TV show last year, uh, which I'm sure is also a popular choice is Severance. Uh, I thought that was just brilliant. It felt like a good episode of Black Mirror. That was just a full season long. Like, I feel like it's so relatable of the idea of kind of checking out while you're at work. And almost kind of the idea of like, like if it's presented to be able to sever yourself and be like, yeah, you know, you just clock in for work and you clock out. That's the next thing you know. So it's essentially 
all you have are your free times and your happiness. It feels like, uh, like it'd be like, oh, that's that would be awesome until you see the show and realize how terrible that could be. Um, I'd say that was that was definitely my favorite TV that I watched last year. Cool. RCB. There, th- this year I felt like I watched a lot more television than I usually did. Um, so quickly, just a handful of things. I'm very partial to the Taylor Sheridan Yellowstone spinoffs. We got the back half of 1883 this year, and we got the first couple episodes leading into this year of 1923. I think both of those are great. As a very casual Star Trek fan, I found Star Trek Strange New Worlds to be very, very enjoyable. I also enjoyed watching um, Paramount Plus's The Offer. I know that a lot of this is probably heightened or somewhat fictionalized for the sake of entertaining storytelling but my goodness matthew good chews the heck out of every scene he's playing as bob evans he is so entertaining to watch in that show as is dan fogler playing um francis ford coppola a a Steady favorite of mine was second season of Only Murders in the Building, and they just announced that Meryl Streep will be on season three. So that's pretty crazy. It's just it's just a weird mix of all these fun things. There is a scene in season two of Only Murders in the Building between Amy Ryan and Jane Lynch that was probably the funniest thing I saw on TV this year. <laughs> if you know, then you know. And... Guilty Pleasure, I really enjoyed watching Willow. It was kind of unassuming, didn't take itself too seriously, and I wish more fantasy would do that. I think that things like Rings of Power and House of the Dragon are so consumed with being serious while also being in fantasy that you lose some of the charm of the genre, but best TV show for me would have to be Andor. I it's It's gotten me to a point where I'm like, I didn't know Star Wars could make me feel this way. And in the recent years, the only things that have made me feel this way about Star Wars have been The Last Jedi and Star Wars Visions. It's just something that felt like, oh my gosh, you can take Star Wars to this level of intellectual writing that isn't built on nostalgia or fan service. And you can just tell a really good story and suddenly get me more invested in the Empire. They're not just a bunch of boring space Nazis in white armor. You understand what's going on in their head. You're invested in why they're doing it, and then that makes you hate them even more, but you love that your hatred is like earned by what they're doing. It's not just, hey, we're going to put Baby Yoda in front of your face and know we're going to get all your streaming dollars. It's It's just one of those things where it feels like I'm excited that the that the galaxy far, far away can be elevated to something beyond what it seems to have just been the last several years. How about you, Rise? You know, there's so many TV shows that I want to watch that are like at the top of people's lists, and I, 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 I'm just I've slacked off. I, I just got my screeners for Severance because I don't have I don't have Apple Plus. I'm not fancy like all y'all, so I do <laughs> want to check that out. And I did just 
you know, um, get through Wednesday. I say get through because it, it didn't blow me away the way that I kind of hope. Don't get me started on Wednesday. Me, me yeah, like we'll, we'll stick to positive things today, <laughs> I think. We'll leave away. We'll, we'll veer away from that. So I'll say the two things that really did impress me were returning shows rather than new shows because I feel like I can, I can st- keep up with those. Um, but the new ones I'm hesitant to start because I'm like, ah, I'm just going to have to wait like six, seven, eight months for the second season. So why start it now? Why not just wait? But the shows that returned that I really liked, um, I thought Barry was a solid return. Mm. It went to some dark places that I really appreciated. How about that Um, finale too? (laughs) Yes. I I don't know where they're going to go with the show, but I'm, I'm here for that, that they, that they have to take in a new direction. This has to be the last year considering where they ended ended i mean they have more seasons coming well so. we no, no we have oh, one more, we have one more season coming but i think it's the last one right no i think that's a good idea um you don't want to outstay or overstay your welcome which for me ozark did a little bit i love that show but the final season kind of let me down a little bit to be honest um the other returning show that i was not at all let down by which i think honestly just gets better and better is Stranger Things. I think this is the most cinematic TV show that I've seen. Um, and I, as a horror fan, them moving away from the like, we're doing Poltergeist, but on Netflix, into we're doing Freddy Krueger, but for Netflix, I appreciated that. Um, they're still derivative. They're still borrowing from 80s nostalgia, but I'm more invested in the characters now. And um, yeah, I just I just like what they're doing with it. And anytime you bring back a classic song and get people listening to it again, yeah, I, I, got, I, I give you credit for that. I appreciate that. So real quickly, uh, I second what uh, has been said about Andor and Severance. They're both amazing transformative especially andor for what we what star wars can be on television and severance is just a trip and uh fun fact it was supposed to be a 10 episode season one and ben, you know show, uh producing director ben stiller told the showrunner writer dude a- episode nine is your season finale save episode 10 for next year and they did which intrigues me because their episode nine was kind of mind blowing um, for a new show. Abbott elementary, just Quinta Brunson is all that in a bag of chips. First African-American woman nominated for acting, directing and or acting, sorry, acting, writing and producing. And she won for writing. So go girl. And it's funny. And uh, kind of like if the office and uh, the office and parks and rec had a love child at an inner Philadelphia school. And for returning show, Better Call Saul. Thank you. Better Call Saul landed the plane. And I will be, they, you know, if they don't get some Emmy love for the second half of the final season, shame on them. Especially, especially Rhea Seahorn, who was Mm -hmm. just, Amazing, amazing. I can't say enough about her. Just, you know, it's just... What's interesting is Better Call Saul and Breaking Bad work together so well. And the fact that its timeline is before, during, and after Breaking Bad, but they landed the plane in that finale. And 
it it was exactly what it needed to be. And if you haven't seen it yet, binge the final season and that finale. They earn it. They really earn it. But yeah, it was a great final season. So it had to be available to binge, which is why I haven't seen it. Because unless yeah. you have the AMC subscription, oh yeah, which... AMC Plus, because we want all your yeah. money. I'm really, I, I'm annoyed. It didn't. It's not even really up for consideration for a lot of like the. Uh, I didn't get any screeners for it because I feel like the acting is good enough that I should have gotten. You should have gotten screeners for it, which is weird. It didn't, which is very disappointing because I Ooh. I really enjoy that show. Well, <sighs> that's that's the breaks the show, Ms. Man. Oh, that was so last year. We're on to the new stuff. <laughs> Okay, guys. Well, thanks for playing. And next episode, we're going to talk, at least for our What the Film, we'll be talking about the snubs and surprises of the Oscar nominations. So, have fun watching the boob tube and at the movies. Bye. Bye-bye. Bye. Bye.